Well, good morning. My name is Grant. Um, I am planting a college ministry at Old Dominion. Sorry, I can't get this thing. That's good. I'm just not good at multitasking. I can't talk and think about what's going on behind me right now. Perfect. Um, I'm planting a new college ministry at Old Dominion. Uh, so I'm down in Norfolk. I've been on there for a couple months now. Um, really excited about it. If you don't know what RUF is, uh, you're in good company. I didn't know what RUF was for the longest time either. Um, we in the, the Presbyterian denomination, the PCA, we think anywhere where there's a lot of sheep, there ought to be shepherds. Um, and so one of the things we really value is having ordained ministers on campus, being able to minister to college students. Obviously, when you're 18 to 25, you make two or three of the biggest decisions of your life, um, and you can get in an awful lot of trouble in that time as well. And so we just have really valued putting people on campus who can minister to those students, who can uh, be incarnational, who can live among them in the way that Jesus came to live among us uh, and minister to their souls. So I'm excited to be doing that at Old Dominion. There's RUFs all over the country, uh, but there's not been one at Old Dominion. And so I'm excited to kind of plant that. Students uh, start classes tomorrow, so please be praying for, for me and the ministry there um, as it's about to get kind of chaotic. Uh, I've got a handful of students there already uh, who are interested in the, the ministry, and, and we're kind of going to see what, what the Lord is, is doing there. So uh, if I was smart, I would have brought a piece of paper for you to write down your email so you can get on my newsletter, um, but I'm not smart, so I forgot to do that. Uh, so if you want, just catch me at the end of the service. We could exchange numbers, and, and I could get that information from you if you're interested or you want to talk more, or if you want to be thinking about how you can, can be praying for the ministry, or even if the Lord calls you to, to give to it financially. So, um, But we're not here to talk about me or, or, or the ministry this morning. We're here to talk about Jesus. So we will look at, uh, if you open your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at the prayer that Paul prays for the Philippians. Now, here's the deal. is uh, I, I preach out of the NASB, which is just a little bit annoying because I'm sure you guys don't use that translation. So your Bibles might be a little bit different, but we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. These are Paul's words to the Philippians, but more importantly, these are God's words to us. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation of the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. In this I pray that your love may overflow still more and more in both real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless by the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory of in the praise of God. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask this morning that you speak to us through your word. We pray that you remind us of the good work that you have began in us, that you encourage us to continue on. We thank you that you have told us that Jesus is the solid foundation upon which we can build our house. Lord, that everything else is fleeting, everything else is is 
a terrible foundation to build our lives on, but Jesus is the rock that is our refuge and our strength. So we pray that you can encourage us. We pray that you speak to us through this word to remind us to continue looking to Jesus as our source of strength and encouragement in this world. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Um, I grew up watching a lot of cartoons, and in many ways, I think cartoons taught me almost everything I need to know about life. Uh, and one of, the, one of the things that sticks out to me regularly that I, that I remember from cartoons that I feel like is so applicable to life is uh, from the Wile E. Coyote cartoon. Uh, if you, can, you can kind of remember, he's obviously always chasing around the Roadrunner trying to catch him, and he's always getting himself into trouble. And one of them, you can probably remember this in your mind, is he's chasing the Roadrunner, and the Roadrunner runs off of a cliff. And that's fine because the Roadrunner is a bird, and so that's not a big deal for him. And Wile E. Coyote follows him, and he runs right off the cliff. But he doesn't fall immediately. First, he looks and he realizes there's no ground under him, and he realizes uh, there's imminent doom that awaits him. And then all of a sudden, he comes crashing down. And I think this, in a lot of ways, is what we experience in life. Like we've been running and running, and finally the ground has come out from under us. And it's only a matter of time before everything comes crashing down. You know, there's there's moments that you have in life where it's like, things have not fallen apart yet, but it's only a matter of time. And we feel like that, we're looking down and we're like just waiting for what is coming next. And what does this in our life, it's it's these, these life circumstances that make us feel like everything is about to come crumbling down. You know, we've got anxieties and stress in our life of of what is going to happen, what is the unknown. We've got situations in families, we've got fights, we've got uh, problems with with our relatives that we can't reconcile, and and it feels like, oh, it's only a matter of time before the kind of the walls come and crush me. Or maybe you've got got like a sin struggle in your life, and you're thinking to yourself, I just don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how, it's only a matter of time before it falls apart. We've got all of these, these circumstances in our life that are draining the life out of us. And, and in those moments where we feel that pressure, we feel like, like the ground has come out from under us, we wonder, God, how are you going to get me through this? God, I know that you've promised me life abundantly in you, but Lord, how are you going to get me through this? And so I encourage you as, as we look at what we're about to look at to think of what are those things in your life that you fear? What's that thing in your life where you're like, Lord, how are you going to get me through this? Lord, how are you going to get me the next paycheck so that I can pay rent? How are you going to get me able to get out of bed in the morning tomorrow when my depression and anxiety are so crippling that I feel like I can't even face the day? How are you going to get me through the next family gathering when we're all together when I know I just, I can't stand to see that one person? Lord, how are you going to get me through this life? What is the thing that makes you wonder how it is it that God's going to get you to the other side? Because what we're going to see in, in Paul and in the Philippians is that they are facing really challenging life circumstances. They are facing issues that probably makes them wonder, God, what is it that you're doing here? And yet Paul's prayer for them is a prayer of encouragement that the Lord is finishing the work that he has started. And so he tells us how to live in the midst of the troubles of their life. So what are the circumstances that they're facing? So the Philippians, we know this just from what the book says, the Philippians have a couple problems that they're facing right now. Uh, They're a young church plant that Paul planted. 
But what they're kind of going through right now is, is they're experiencing some pretty significant financial troubles. So they're not sure like, how we're going to keep existing because we don't really have the money to keep existing. And then in the midst of that happening, there's also a fight between two people in the church that's threatening the existence of the church. The unity of the church is at risk because these two people who are probably key leaders in the church are fighting so loudly that everyone's like, this is uncomfortable. We don't know what to do. This is weird. And so Paul is going to, to address both of those, but they have, they have real circumstances. Like, what, like God, what are, what are you doing in this church? We, we think we're doing the right thing. We think that we're ministering. We think that we're reaching the community that we're in, but we're not sure if the church will continue to exist because there's serious problems. So God, what are you doing in those? And if that's not bad enough, Paul's situation, his circumstances, are that he's in prison. You know, he's, he's out preaching the gospel. He's planting churches. He's, he's building up the kingdom and then all of a sudden he gets thrown into prison. He can't do any of that anymore. He can't be out and about. And, and so his life circumstances are probably very frustrating because he's doing all of this stuff that, that is ministry that's good, and then all of a sudden he can't do it. And where I might respond with, with frustration or anger or bitterness at God, God, why have you done this? God, why are you putting me through this? Paul's response is not any of those things. Paul's response is joy and encouragement. He encourages the Philippians, keep going, because the Lord is finishing the work that he started in you. He prays for them with confidence because he knows that God is going to finish that work. And so no matter how bleak things seem for the Philippians, for Paul, no matter how bleak things might seem for your life, this is the promise that he gives to us, that Christ is finishing the work that he has started in you. So that's going to be the first thing we see uh, how, how can we know that God is going to get us through this? How, how can we continue living in the midst of difficult life circumstances, of challenges that we experience? We know that we can persevere because it's God who is perfecting us. We can know that we can persevere because it's God who is perfecting us, that we can be confident that we'll get through the troubles of this life because it's God's work that has sealed us. Look at verses 3 through 6 with me. It's where we see this first point. Paul writes, that I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation of the gospel from the very first day until now. And hear this, verse 6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. He says, the same God who, who began that work in you is going to complete that work. And so the same God who has saved us is the God who sustains us. It's the God who keeps us going. It's the God who gives us the things we need to continue living in this life. He's, he's told us that God is going to finish this work that he has started. This is an incredible thing. Uh, movie trailers, if you watch them, it's, it's funny, they're like better than movies are now. Sometimes you, like, you go see, you get really excited and the movie's actually not that good. Um, but there's some movie trailers that you see that uh, it, it like gives away the ending of the movie. You see it and you're like, okay, well, I know what happens now. And it kind of ruins the movie. But this is like, this is like a movie trailer for, for our lives, but it's good that we know the ending. We know that in the end, God finishes what he started. We know the ending of the story, and so in the midst of the story, when things are challenging, we can be encouraged because we know how it's going to end. We can have peace in knowing that God's promises, or that God promises us that he will perfect us just as surely as he has sealed us. 
that Jesus is going to get us to the end. You can imagine it sort of like this. This is something that half of the room probably can't relate to, but um, have you ever sent an, a mail out into the world? You ever, like, mailed a letter to someone? What you do is, is you know, you write your little message, and you fold it up, you stick it in the thing, you lick it, you put a stamp on it, and you send it out into the world. And what happens is, you know, it's, it goes from your hands to your mailbox, it goes to the, the mail carrier, they put it in their bag, they put it in a truck, it goes through all these machines at the post office, it, you know, who knows what happens. And, and what's going to happen to that letter is it's going to kind of experience the elements of this world. You know, it's going to be handled by a bunch of people. It's going to go through machines. It's, and by the end, it's going to, you know, probably have a stain on it. It's going to be crumbled up in the corner. It's going to really have, have worn a lot of life on it as it's traveled, however far you're sending it away. But what happens is that when, when the person who receives it opens it up, the contents are untouched. No matter what that letter went through, the inside is untouched because it was sealed. And so also in our lives, God has sealed us by his Holy Spirit. And so we might go out into the world and we might experience the elements of the world. We might get beat up. We might end up, you know, with stains on us and crumbled up in the corner. We might have have seen all sorts of things. But in the end, when we get to heaven, we will remain untouched because we have been sealed by God's Holy Spirit. And so we can know with with the ending of this story, we can know that that because God has sealed us in him, that nothing can touch us. That these circumstances in life that are challenging, that we don't know what is going to happen, we don't know how we're going to get through it, we can remain confident because it's Christ who finishes the work that he starts. We don't know all the steps that we'll face in this life, but we know that Christ gets us to our final destination. He helps us in the times of facing hardships. You know, I I had mentioned earlier that we know how the story ends. Well, the Bible tells us in Revelation 21, verse 4, this is the ending of our story when we are face to face with our Savior. It says, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will no longer be any mourning, no crying, no pain. All of the crying and the pain, that's a this world thing. That's a this life thing. But brothers and sisters, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, that is not where your story will end. Your story will end in the presence of your Savior. So God promises us that we are sealed by his work. That's the first thing we look at. But uh, there's a natural question there. Okay, that's helpful. That's helpful to know that, that I'll get to the end. But how can I face today's problems? Right? Jesus told me to worry about today's problems. So I'm worried about today's problems. How am I going to get through the actual hard things that I'm experiencing? Well, we need help. And so the second thing that we'll see that Paul is encouraging the Philippians in is that we can persevere because we can participate in each other's suffering. We are able to persevere because we can participate in others' suffering. Or maybe another way to put that is we can persevere because others are participating in our suffering. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. Paul writes, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment, right, that's suffering, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. 
We can rely on one another because it's God's grace that unites us. So, so why does Paul feel such, such an affection for this church? Because you think about this, Paul is experiencing a lot of suffering, and when someone's going through a lot of suffering, it's, it's kind of hard for, they, they hear other people talking about suffering that's maybe not as significant, and they don't, you know, they kind of like roll their eyes at it, like, oh, you don't understand. Why is it that Paul understands so much and cares so much for the suffering of the Philippians? It's because the same grace that has saved him is the grace that saves the Philippians. It's because Jesus loved the Philippians just as much as he loved Paul. That is, he loved them a whole lot. And so if Jesus loves them, then Paul must also love them. If Jesus has given everything up for them, that if Paul is going to live for Jesus, then he ought to care an awful lot about them. And so don't miss this. If you are in Jesus, you are united to every other believer as partakers of the same grace. So in the same way that Paul is a partaker with the Philippians, so we are are partakers with with everyone in Virginia, everyone who's a believer in the United States, in the globe, across time, every believer, every person who has ever put their faith in Jesus, including Paul and the Philippians, we are partakers of grace. We are united in the Holy Spirit. We are united with them, and so we suffer alongside them. We suffer alongside those people who are across the globe, suffering in this world. We suffer alongside the the Christians who worship in secret in China. We worship alongside the, the Christians in Ukraine who are trying to figure out how do I send my kids to school safely. We suffer alongside the people in this country who are facing financial crisis, we're facing impossible diagnosis of, of all sorts of ailments. We suffer alongside one another as, as there are people in this room who are suffering greatly. We suffer alongside each other because we are united. We are partakers in God's grace. And here's what this means. It means that, that we minister to one another. It means that we testify of God's goodness to each other when others are having a hard time believing it. Are you hurting this morning? Are you someone who, who is suffering or in a lot of pain? Are you someone who's facing the difficulty of, of a sin that you just can't get out ahead of? Are you facing physical needs that are so insurmountable that you just don't know how is it that I'm going to continue on? Are you, are you facing some kind of ailment that you just wonder, I don't know if I can make it to the end of the day. Are you so overcome by struggles in this life that it feels like God has lost you? If that's where you are, then lean in on the church. Lean in on the church. Look to your Christian brothers and sisters around you to encourage you, to remind you of the promises of God, to remind you that Christ is finishing the work that he has started in you. If you are hurting, surround yourself with the people of God, to remind you of God's love for you. We are not put on this earth to do the Christian life alone. When Jesus tells his people to pray, he does not say, pray my Father who is in heaven. He says, pray our Father who is in heaven. That we are encouraged to do this with one another because you cannot do it alone. 
You need your brothers and sisters to encourage you to come alongside you in your pain and suffering. And so maybe for you, that means that you have to confess something that you don't want to confess. Maybe it means you have to be more vulnerable than you want to be because you've got something going on that no one knows about, that you need help in. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel, that we are people who need help. So lean in on the church. If you're a person who is in a good place right now, you are experiencing the blessing of the Lord, things are encouraging, things are great, then testify of God's goodness to those who are hurting around you. Pray for them. Encourage them. Have them over for meals and minister to them. Read scripture with them. Point them to Jesus Christ. Remind them that Jesus has told them, come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters, we need each other in this life because we are partakers of the same gospel message. We are all in equal need of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so lean in on your brothers and sisters to remind you, to encourage you, to testify of God's goodness when sometimes God's goodness feels very, very distant. Immerse yourself among God's people. There's a story I read a few years ago now. Um, I think it's like up in Minneapolis. There's uh, these wildlife refuge people were like on the news asking people in the area, stop putting goldfish in lakes. So I guess what happened is, you know, this happened when I was a kid, so this is why I imagine it's this way, is you go to like a fair or a carnival or something and you win a goldfish and you bring it home to mom and dad. They're not thrilled that you are bringing home a goldfish. And so they like let it loose in like, I don't know where goldfish live, lakes. Sure, why not? So you put it in a lake. And apparently what happens is it, when you put a goldfish in, a, you know, a little tank, it only gets but so big because its, its environment is little. But if you put it out in the wild, it just apparently keeps growing and growing and growing. And it just like never stops. And so there's in this video in the news, these wildlife people are like pulling goldfish out of the lake. And they're like the size of your arm. Like they're these massive creatures. It looks just like a goldfish. It's just huge. And so like stop doing, like this is not help. It's bad for the environment. Like just please stop doing this. And I say that to say we are like goldfish. We grow based on the environment that we're in. And so when you isolate yourself, when you cut yourself off from God's people and away from God's word, you just are that little tiny goldfish in that little tiny aquarium that never gets to grow very big because, because you're contained, because you don't have the freedom. But if you immerse yourself in God's people and in God's word, you can just keep growing and growing and growing and growing until you're one of these monster goldfish that's bad for the environment. <laughs> don't cut yourself off. Immerse yourself in God's people because we are partakers of the same grace. The Christian life is not simply about surviving, though. It's not just about, like, how do I get through today? The Christian life is about living in obedience to Christ and becoming more like him. So this is the final thing that we see Paul encouraging the Philippians and us in, is that we can persevere... Because our growth comes from God and not from us. We can persevere because our growth comes from God and not from us. We're able to do this because God's righteousness is filling us. Look at verses 
9 through 11. He says, In this I pray, that your love may overflow still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may discover the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of slow down on this part and, and work through these things individually. But God's work in us is not simply that we survive. It's that we grow to become more and more like him. The, the theology word we use for this is sanctification. It's that the Holy Spirit is working inside of us to renew us, to make us more like Jesus. So that day after day, we can die more and more to our sin and live more and more to Jesus. That the Christian life is, is making progress in growing in holiness and righteousness. And it's not because you or I are holy or righteous. Don't get that wrong. It's because God is growing that in us. And so Paul gives a little bit of a roadmap for what that looks like, for how to think about that. The first one in verse 9, he says, or he prays, that your love might abound still more and more. That your love might continue growing. And he gives kind of two measurements for how that love grows. That your love may grow in overflowing in knowledge, and it might grow in overflowing in all discernment. What that means is, is that as our love grows, our love for God, we grow more and more in knowing about him and knowing him as our Savior. And as we grow in that, we grow in our knowledge, which is like, how do we live out God's will? But we also grow in our discernment, which is not just knowing what God's will is for our life, but actually, how do we do that? You know, we, <laughs> I'm, I've been very guilty of this. Maybe you have too. You've got some of these people who are really good at knowing what the Bible says, but they're not great at like doing that. Like I can tell you all about who God is, but I'm a real jerk when I'm at work. And so Paul's, Paul's prayer for them is, is that your love grows not only in your knowledge, but also in your discernment, also how you live that out, also how you love your community, how you love your coworkers, how you love your neighbors, how you love your family, that every aspect of our life is changed by the love we have for God, how he's growing that in us, how we're becoming better husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and children, how we're becoming better employees and employers, how we're becoming better servants of God, that, that he says, I, I pray always that your love incur abounds more and more in your knowledge and in your discernment, that through Christ our love grows and it grows us in the knowledge of God's word, but also how to live in faithful obedience to it, in our lives and in our communities, in our families, in our jobs, and in the world. He goes on to pray for them in verse 10. He, he prays that you may approve of things that are excellent, so that you might be pure and blameless. And this is one of those things that, that if you've been a Christian for a while, you definitely have experienced this. Like, you cannot do this without God growing this in you. That it takes God transforming your heart to love good things and hate evil things. Right? Isn't it true? We love sin. We wouldn't do it if we didn't love it. That our heart is so inclined toward wickedness that God has to change and transform our hearts so that we may approve of things that are good, so that we may desire good things. We may call what is good, good, and evil, evil. We may love the things of God and, and turn away from, from the wicked things in this world. 
so that we might be pure and blameless. And don't get this wrong. When he says so that you might be pure and blameless, he's not saying so that you might be perfect. You're not going to be perfect. Give yourself some grace because you're going to fail. That's why we have the gospel in the first place is because we fail. But that as we grow in that, we are, 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 have good reputations in the world. That's what it means to be pure and blameless. It's that we have a good reputation in the world as, as someone who generally is, you know, the world says, like, you're a good guy. And you're like, I'm not good, trust me. But, but the Lord is growing that in us. He's changing our hearts so that we might approve of things that are excellent. Because of the work of Christ in us, we, choose, we learn to choose good over evil. Not so that we become perfect, but so that we can become blameless. And have a good reputation in the world. The final thing that Paul prays is that you be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes from Christ. Brothers and sisters, we have no righteousness if we do not have Christ. Our righteousness comes from God and from God alone. Our righteousness comes from the obedience of Jesus Christ in this world. The perfect obedience that he puts onto us. We grow in righteousness as we get to know Jesus better, but our righteousness comes from Jesus. But this is also true, that Christ's righteousness does change us. That our righteousness comes from God, but it bears itself out in right living. That as we grow more and more like Christ, we begin to look more and more like Christ. Our love, our actions begin to look more like those of Jesus. We cannot become more righteous on our own, but God is doing that work in us. You know, the, the, we talked earlier about the ending of our story. The truth is, that ending is not the ending for everyone. That ending is the ending for those who are in Jesus. No, the ending for those who are not in Jesus is far more terrifying. It's far more scary because of our sin, because of our wickedness against God. But for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, he is growing righteousness in you. He is coming alongside you in your suffering, and he is going to finish the work that he has started in you. If you have placed your faith in the work of Christ, you are being filled with his righteousness. You are being made more and more like him through the power of the Holy Spirit. If it does not feel that way to you sometimes, sometimes you're like, I feel like I'm actually just getting worse and worse, then come alongside other believers so that they can continue to encourage you in that and tell you about how much of a piece of trash you used to be and how Jesus is actually working in you, even if you can't see it. But also they can encourage you and like, yeah, you probably should work on some things here too. You probably should pray that the, that the Holy Spirit continues to move you in these things. But no matter what your circumstances are in this life, know that the work of Christ is perfecting you. This is what Paul has told us. This is what Jesus has told us in his word. Until that day when your work is complete and you stand face to face with your Savior. Brothers and sisters, God is going to finish the work that he has started in you. God is going to finish the work that he has started in you. He has sealed you. If you have put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, he will get you to the end. Might not always feel like it in the moment, but that is his promise to us. So remain in him, live in him, giving yourself over to him, looking to the church for encouragement, looking to his word for your guidance, 
knowing that he is going to finish what he has started. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ, that his perfect obedience has sealed us and saved us. Father, we pray that as we continue to be burdened by the things in this world, whether it's our own sinfulness or the circumstances we experience in life, whether it's the challenges that we face, the relationships, whatever it might be, Father, we pray that you continue to remind us that you have completed the work that you've started. And though it might not feel like it in the moment, Jesus, we know that your cross is victorious. We know that that the powers of hell cannot stand against it. And so we pray that you give us strength to live in obedience to that reality and that truth, that our new identity of, of being in you, of being the work that you have started, means that we will one day be with you face to face. When the problems of this world no longer plague us, And instead, we can just be filled with absolute love and devotion to you. Father, we thank you for the work that you've done in us. We pray for those who are suffering in this room today, that you give them extra strength and love. And Lord, that we can come alongside them and care for them and minister to them and encourage them and live life with them as partakers of the same grace. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. In your name, amen.